Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Is Jesus Lord? Is He Lord of all? Is He Lord of your life? Is He Lord of your family? Is He Lord of your church? Is He Lord of our community, our world, our culture, our politics? Getting weaker and weaker as we go here. What part of your life, what part of this world is Jesus not Lord of? It's a good question to ask yourself. You know, we live in an age where we compartmentalize our religious life from our secular life. And in our religious life, we've got a nice little tidy, I go to church on Sunday. I pray and read my Bible every morning. I fellowship with believers. And then we've got the secular box. Oh, that's my work, my neighbors, my finances, my politics. What's wrong with that picture? Jesus is Lord of all, okay? I was at a conference this last week. You know, Cheryl and I have been AWOL, it seems like, a little bit lately. Uh, I had mentioned we had got away for our anniversary a couple weeks back, and uh, Frankie covered the pulpit and uh, was got up and got to do a little bit of hunting and uh, had some good times there. And uh, just recently, we're up to Coeur d'Alene a, a, in a conference there. And so we've been getting away from um, town a little bit, and I'm blessed to have so many people that have covered the pulpit for me. But at the end of the day, whether here or at home or at work or at Walmart, wherever you are, who's your Lord? Jesus, right? So here we are in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 5. We started out with um, the fishermen, right? The four fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And uh, when they caught this amazing catch of fish after fishing all night, they were fishermen, but they were failing and flailing, and Jesus comes along and fills their boats to overflowing. And remember Peter's comment, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord. Of all, I'm a sinful man. I don't belong here. What did Jesus say? <laughs> come. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And what does it say? They dropped their nets and followed him. We saw a leper meet him on the road. Lord, if you're willing, cleanse me. Jesus says, I am willing. And they touched that man. And he was healed. He didn't say to that man, 
drop your nets and follow me. Obviously, it was a different man, a different purpose. You're different people. We've got different places and positions in life. We've all got different things. But that man received a touch from Jesus, and Jesus said, now I want you to go to the temple. That's where the priests were in Jerusalem. You need to go there and give offerings according to the law of Moses. And so this man who had been an outcast, lonely, uh, death sentence on his life, shunned by the Jewish religion, now has to go to the leaders of that religion. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. It says in Mark's gospel, and he told everybody. How ironic, right, that when Jesus says, tell nobody, they tell everybody. And when Jesus tells us, all authority is mine. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the world. And the command is to go, tell the world how often we're kind of silent in that. It's ironic, right? Nevertheless, this man is healed. And, and we read in verse 15 then, however the report went around concerning him, all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear, starts with hearing. Faith comes by, hearing by the Word of God, okay? This is where it begins. They need healing. Where's the healing? It's in the Word. This is, this is the heart of the matter. And that's what we're going to pick up in just a couple minutes here. It's not just healing your broken family or your um, wrecked love life or your um, pickup truck or whatever it is that you need healed. It's, it's an inside-out job. It starts from here. Hearing by the word of God. They came to hear and to be healed of him, of their infirmities. Verse 16, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Often. That's in the perfect tense in the Greek grammar, which is to say it's a continual thing. This is Jesus' pattern. He had to get away from all. The wilderness. The wilderness simply means a place that's uninhabited. Okay, It doesn't have to be a desert. It could be a forest. It could be a beach on an ocean, but you're in the wilderness, you're by yourself, okay? It's an uncivilized area. You just go out to be with the Lord. And, and Jesus, if Jesus needs to go often to be with the Lord, you think we're going to do better without going to Him frequently, regularly, part of what we do? You know, the harder that He ministered, the more He worked, the more He gave of himself, the more he needed to be with the Father. And I think that's, that's pertinent to you and I as well. Now, it brings us right into verse 17. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. What's he doing? Healing. Is this a healing ministry? Is he um, raising the roof? Is he some kind of faith healer coming into town with his wagon? Jesus heals. Be here at 6 o'clock tonight. Is that what he's doing? What's he doing? Teaching. They came to hear, and they were healed. Now, it happened a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers, or scribes of the law, sitting by, who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Do not run past that verse. You know, in our exegesis, in our, in our 
bringing out the Word of God, we want to make sure that we make careful observation before we go into interpretation and then start applying it to our lives. Don't miss, don't, not, don't fail to observe. It happened in a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. The idea of sitting by, just kind of onlookers, not joining in, just kind of coming around to see what's going on. Now, how is it that on this certain day, these Pharisees, the Pharisees, it were, it's a word that means the separated ones, okay? The holier than thou's, very legalistic, very um, just detailed in their worship, um, just there were about 6,000 Pharisees in Jesus' day in Jerusalem. It wasn't like a huge part of the population, but they had a huge influence because they thought of themselves and were looked upon by others as people who did everything for Jesus or everything, I mean, for, for Yahweh God. They were Jews, okay? But they were just their religion was just consuming every little detail of their life. Their prayers in the marketplace, their tithing of mint and cumin, just a little 10% here and there. Everything they did was supposedly so religious. But they're not joining in. But how did they get there in the first place? These Pharisees, these people that are holier than thou, better than everybody else, and the teachers of the law or the scribes, the lawyers of their days, the experts in the law of Moses, why is it they all happened to be gathered there that day? Back up a couple verses. There was this leper. Jesus said, go to the priest, make the offerings. He went up to Jerusalem, he made the offerings, and he told everybody. And word is now spreading throughout all of Israel in the Galilee, where Jesus is at, in the northern region, in Judea, in the southern region, in the temple, in Jerusalem, everybody's hearing about this healer, this teacher, this rabbi, this, dare we say, Messiah. Because that's the word on the street. Messiah's here. Messiah's here. I am a teacher of the law. I'll tell you if Messiah's here. Messiah's here. I'm a Pharisee. I'll tell you if that man qualifies to be Messiah. And so he started gathering. And so now there's this inquisition, and they're all just sitting by. Get the scene? You don't want to miss that because it really is what this whole passage is about. It's those guys. Look what it says here. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Who is them? The Pharisees and the scribes. You mean these religious, legalistic, holier than thou needed healing? Yep. So here we go. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins 
are forgiven you. Wow. How many of you guys ever heard this story like when you were in Sunday school or something? I know there's a lot that didn't go to Sunday school, but when I went to Sunday school, this is one of those stories, and it's really dramatic, right? It's like, wow, how can you not see what's going on here? So there's these men. It's plural. We can imagine it's about four of them from the dynamics of what it would require them to do to get this paralyzed man before Jesus. But they brought a bit on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. They knew Jesus could heal. This man could do nothing. He's paralyzed. It's very much a picture of our friends, our neighbors, our community, a world paralyzed with sin, powerless to break the shackles of Satan. They can't do what they need to do to get to Jesus. They're paralyzed. What do they need? They need friends. They need friends. Are we those people? Do we know Jesus and do we know what they need? Are we those friends bringing people to Jesus? I ask that every one of you would get one of our business cards when you came in with your bulletin. Did you all get one of these? You know what you're supposed to do with this? Give it to somebody. Not, not your neighbor in the room here, your neighbor at home or at work or at Walmart. We use these all the time. I've got to order more. We're running out. D Dallas is famous for just passing them out like popcorn. Hey, 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 here's this. How hard would it be just to give somebody one of these? Are you going to be at home on October 31st? Maybe you're not coming out to be part of the truth and treat. And that's no judgment or whatever. But can you hand out tracts? Can you invite people? Can you share with your friend? It's, it's a piece of cake, you know? Uh, just care enough about your friend to bring them to Jesus. Well, they cared enough. And it says they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd. They went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. Now, this is the part in Sunday school that always gets me because I'm like, here's Jesus and he's in this house and there's a whole bunch of people and they, they can't get this man with his, his bed, his litter or whatever and get through the crowd. They just can't get in. So they come up with a plan. We'll go up on the roof and lower him in through the roof. Now, as a kid, I'm looking up and I'm like, how are we going to bring somebody in through that roof? But that's not the way it was. We were in Ketzren, and um, it's the Golan area north of the Sea of Galilee, and there's this village that's been reconstructed from about the 4th century, a Talmudic village, and you can go there and you can visit the synagogue and the olive press and the wine press and all these different things and a lot of restored homes the way they were in Jesus' day. And there was one home we would get be, be able to get into and go inside and see how they would have their, their kitchen. Their kitchen was about the size of this table to the front row. That was the whole kitchen, okay? It had a little stove in the corner and everything. Then there was the great room, the big room, the gathering room. And it had a table um, there. And it was kind of interesting imagining that table and those chairs, maybe Jesus the carpenter, you know, he, he wouldn't have made those because this was fourth century. But that's what it would look like, very rustic. But the whole room was no bigger than the stage I'm standing on right here, okay? 
because back in their days, they had stone, and this building was made of stone, and you could go inside. The windows were very small to keep the cold out, just enough for a little bit of light. There were niches in the stone wall that you would put your little um, lamps with a wick so that you could have light inside the house. But in order to build these, they had stone walls, and then they would have rafters, and so they had to work with the dimensions of trees and, and things in their area, so it can only be so wide, and that would span the roof, and then the roof was thatched together, and it was kind of like a lath and plaster affair where they would lay a lot of mud into the thatching, and that made the roof, and actually, the roof was a patio where you would go up onto the roof, and that would be your outdoor dining area or just hanging out area when it was too hot. Um, and so this is what's happening. These guys need to get their friend to Jesus. And so they figure, can't get through the door, we'll go on the roof. And so they're inside there, and all of a sudden, as Jesus is teaching, and the Pharisees are sitting by, and the word is going forth, dirt clods start falling on everybody and raining down on them. And next thing you know, off comes a rafter, off comes another and daylight comes into this room, and there's these guys, these four guys looking down in at you, right? And in the middle of all this, you can imagine it probably stopped conversation. It probably stopped the teaching. Everybody's just like, what's, and all of a sudden, this man comes down with his ropes. The guy's probably lowering the ropes. That's why I say like four in order to not tip him out or something like that. We don't know. This is speculation. But nevertheless, the friends let him down. Um, and they led him down through the tithing, the mist before Jesus, when he, capital H, Jesus, saw their faith, what did he see? How do you see faith? Faith, belief, trust. How do you see belief? How do you see trust? James would say faith without works is dead faith. There should be feet on your faith. There should be something that what you believe in your heart comes out in your actions. And their actions were enough that they would destroy this roof, tear it apart, because they desperately needed to get their friend to Jesus. And they would do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. And he saw their faith. He saw what they were willing to go through for their friend. And look at this. This one is just kind of marvelous how it says, when Jesus saw there, the friend's faith, he said to him, the paralytic, man, your sins are forgiven you. Isn't that cool? You mean, there's a place in our Christian walk where we, in faith, pray for, witness to, invite, bring people to the Lord, and then the Lord does the forgiving. That's amazing. Based on your faith, others can be healed, can be forgiven of their sins. Amazing. It says in verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees, oh, that's right. I told you that's what this is all about, isn't it? It's really all about that. We look at the paralyzed guy because I'm thinking I'm the paralyzed guy. And man, I want to walk. And before the story's over, I'm going to. And I, I think this is amazing, this, this story of the friends and the paralyzed guy. That's the sideshow. That's just the vehicle by which Jesus demonstrates who he is. 
But this story started out with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law all gathered and standing by. This is what's the focal point. And it says, verse 21, And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, they're right. Partly, only God can forgive sins. But Jesus is not speaking blasphemies. Jesus is not claiming as a man to be God. Jesus is claiming, I am God, and I forgive that man. That's my prerogative as God. Based on your faith, I choose to forgive them, heal them, make them whole. But these guys are having a really hard time. They don't quite understand what's going on. I like what we read in Psalm 139. I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. But it says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it all together. How is it that Jesus knows what's going on in these guys' hearts? Because he is Lord. He's Lord of the paralytic. He's Lord of the friends. He's Lord of the house. He's Lord of these men. It goes on to say in Psalm 139, verse 5, You have hedged me behind, and before you have your ha- laid your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. This is amazing. God knows our every thoughts. He knows the Pharisees' thoughts. He knows everything that's going on in here. And now he calls them to account. I love what we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him, Jesus, and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. These are the Pharisees. Oh, I have fellowship with God. I'm holy. I'm closer to God than any of y'all. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in this chapter that we have with Luke... We're seeing all these different people called. The fishermen were called. The leper is called. 
the paralytic and the friends have been called. These Pharisees are being called. And before the chapter's over, the tax man's going to be called and his disciples are going to be called. The question is, how do we answer? Lord? Or grumble in our hearts? I began reading in Psalm 139. I'm going to read the end of Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. And I'd like you to Repeat after me, if you would. Say this as a prayer. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Amen. This man's sins were forgiven. Hallelujah. Jesus is working now with these Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. Which one's easier? I can say, Gary, you're a billionaire. I just said it, didn't I? Is he? I don't know. <laughs> or write you a check and put it in your hand. Which is easier? This is Jesus' question to these Pharisees. You want to see if what I am saying is true, um, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them and took what had been lying, he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Hallelujah. Right? Faith with feet, okay? Jesus' word becoming flesh. The truth being manifest in front of them. And that, this is amazing. It says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth. The Son of Man, that title is the title of Messiah, that's the title that every scribe standing by, every Pharisee gathered that day understood when Jesus said, the Son of Man, he was claiming he was Messiah, he was claiming deity, he was claiming to be God himself. We, we know this in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, they would have been very familiar with this passage. It was their hope and prayer that Messiah would come and deliver them. And in Daniel 7, beginning at verse 13, this is Daniel now speaking, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and is the kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. 
all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve him, worship him, recognize him as God, Lord of all. Okay, this is a big claim. We see this uh, son of man, Jesus is, uses it, it's his favorite way to describe himself in, this, in the gospel. We see it 84 times scattered throughout the gospels that Jesus takes this name to himself, son of man. And everybody knew he was speaking of deity of Messiah. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And immediately he rose before them and took what he'd been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying Jesus. Here's one of the things, and it's a small side note. I'll just throw it out for you. But when God does something miraculous for you, when he touches you and changes your heart, changes your mind, changes your way of thinking, changes your behaviors, changes your health, changes your finances, whatever it is that God is moving on you and doing the miraculous, expect that he's going to ask you to do the miraculous. Your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed. Walk. Go home. I can't walk. I'm paralyzed. With man, impossible. With God, all things are possible because he is Lord of all. And expect him to do miraculous things. We're living in a day and age right now where the forces of evil are rallying. The world is literally going to hell in a handbasket, nice and tidy and prepackaged according to plan. But just know, God wrote the book. It doesn't surprise him what's going on. We battle not against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and powers. And this is that power, this, this, this battle that's raging. And this man gets up, he does the miraculous. Absolutely uh, stunning, okay? He tells Peter, let down your net. He tells this man, take up your bed. What's he telling you? What's he telling you this morning? What is it that God wants you to do in response to what he has done for you? Not what you did last week or last year or at summer camp when you were 17. What is it that God is saying to do today? Immediately he rose up before them, took what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. I'll bet you. You can imagine him going down the street telling everybody what happened. Verse 26, and they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Who are these people that are, we're talking about in verse 26? And they were all amazed. Amazed literally means it blew their mind. That's kind of a more common translation. <laughs> Everything in my world has just been rocked to the core. Everything I believe, everything I know, my everything has just been blown away. I'm amazed. And they glorified God. Wow! That's amazing. And we're filled with fear. The beginning of wisdom. This is a starting place. It's talking about the Pharisees and the scribes. 
if you go to the grammar and look at how this is structured, it rocked their world. Let's move on, see what we can get done here this morning. Verse 27, after these things, whew, you mean there's more? Yeah, <laughs> the hits just keep rolling. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. Wow. Drop your nets. Follow me. Go to the temple. Go to the priest and do according to the law. Take up your bed and walk. And now... He goes to Levi, the tax collector, sitting at the tax office. Now, the way this is set up, we know that um, Levi collected taxes at what was known as the customs house, and it was along the Via Maris. I, I reference that several times because it's something to get familiar with. In ancient Israel, in Jesus' day, there was a route that connected basically Asia to Africa, okay, to Egypt, and it ran through the northern part of Israel, it would come on down through the Golan to the Sea of Galilee. At the Sea of Galilee, it would hook towards the west and go through the hills to the ocean. Mar is the word for ocean. The Via Maris, or the way of the ocean, would then take them down the coast to Egypt. The reason I bring that out, out to you, if there was any commercial trade route in those days, this was it. This was the big one. This was the granddad. This was the main vein by which all commerce in the ancient world from Asia to Africa flowed, okay? So a lot of traffic, a lot of caravans, a lot of commerce. And this guy, Levi, he's got his little customs house set up along that road just a, about a kilometer and a half outside of Capernaum on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And everybody that would come by would have to pay a toll, you know, like a toll road. They'd have to pay a tax. And the tax would be based on all kinds of things, such as how many wheels are on the wagon or how many uh, donkeys or oxen or whatever are pulling the wagon, whatever quantity of goods was in the wagon and different taxes for different types of items. And they would all get shook down by Caesar. Okay, Levi is a quizzling. It's a funny word, but it basically means he's a stooge for the government. Now, I'm not picking on government workers, but he was. He was working for Rome. How would you like it if you had to pay all these taxes and you didn't have a choice, and then all these taxes you paid got shipped off to a foreign country? Oh, I guess we're doing that. You don't have to imagine how you would feel. So then you take it one step further. How would you feel about the guy who takes those taxes from you? He's one of you. He's a Jew. He's an Israelite, but he's sold out to the enemy, and he is shaking down all his neighbors and taking that money and giving it to the occupying forces. Okay. Now, it was a very lucrative position to have. Okay, they would do tax franchises and and basically you would get a region and you were responsible for collecting the taxes in your given territory. And if you didn't collect enough taxes, you're going to have 
you're going to have to deal with Caesar on that, okay? But generally, the way that this worked is they had to collect X amount of taxes, and anything they kept or anything they earned over that was just cream. They could skim it off the top, okay? It's kind of funny. We've got the story of Levi right here. Luke is going to get towards the end of his gospel. In chapter 19, we're going to meet another tax collector named Zacchaeus. And when Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus is convicted of his sin in the presence of his Lord, he says, I will give back all that I have taken from people, four times as much. That's what you give back when you're a thief. You have to pay back four times as much, according to the Old Testament. Zacchaeus was a thief. Most tax collectors were a thief. And if I was to talk about tax collectors in this room, by and large, most of them would say, yeah. Not a big fan of the IRS. Not a big fan of the 87,000 armed soldiers that are added to the ranks to come and take my money and give it to people and causes that I absolutely uh, are repulsed by. I know, I'm getting a little political here. But what part of this is Jesus Lord of? All of it, right? Okay, so here we go. Now, all of that being said, part of the reason that you are sitting in this room is due to a tax man. He's the person who called this church into existence. The commissioner of the, or, or the, the Idaho State Tax Commissioner, the, the head of him is our, our very own Jeff. And he's a righteous dude. He's a good guy. Now, is it bad to pay taxes? Well, it depends on how much and who you give it to. But aren't you grateful when you pick up the phone and dial 911, there's somebody there to put out the fire or, you know, keep you safe? So that's fair. You know, God ordained basic three institutions in the world that we live in today. He ordained the family. He ordained the church, and he did ordain civil government. And the civil government is given the prerogative, the privilege, the responsibility of bearing the sword for those who do wrong. But their purpose and their call is to do good and to defend those who are doing right that they may go about their business. And Jesus himself says, render unto Caesar... That which is Caesar's. So I'm not saying you shouldn't pay taxes. In fact, the tax code says you should pay the minimum amount due. Not anymore. That's the wording, minimum. But we should carry that part of our responsibility. The other part of the responsibility is to vote. So that when those taxes are spent, they go to the causes that we believe in. That's why I came out earlier. Um, um, to vote for um, biblicalvoter.com. Make wise choices in this election coming up. I pray you're going to go vote. I know people get into this conundrum where, you know, it's like I'm trying to choose between the less of two evils. And I don't want to do evil, so I won't vote. Okay? That's, that's, a, that's a wacky logic. Okay? We have been called to be salt and light not salt of the kitchen ministry and light of the sanctuary. We're to be salt of the earth. 
the earth and light of the world. We need to get out of the salt shaker. We need to be making our voices heard. We need to stand and vote and express ourselves. And this is how we take care of our taxes. Nevertheless, I know it's a little bit of a segue, but here's a tax collector, okay? So we got these fishermen, they're failures. We got this leper, he's lonely, he's um, just uh, despised. We've got these Pharisees, and everybody looks down their nose at them. They're all legalistic and holier now. We've got this paralytic who's hopeless, and now we've got a tax collector. I mean, if it doesn't keep getting worse and worse and worse, who is hated? Jesus says, hey, tax collector, come here, follow me. And what does Levi do? It says right here, follow me, verse 28, so he left all, all the luxury, all the security, all the privilege. He left everything, rose up and followed him, followed Jesus. Didn't take him long. Um, I just love that. Then Levi, verse 29, he didn't just stop with following him. Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him, right? So woohoo! Jesus called me. I'm on his team. I've come out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I've got a lot of money. I know what we'll do. We'll throw a party. Now, this is the part I really like about it, my, one of my favorite parts. When you witness to your friend who is paralyzed in sin, when you witness to your friend who is all wrapped up in the world, whether it's um, politics or government or whatever, and you bring them to Jesus Christ, you know what these people who now have been touched and changed and are now just born again do? They go tell their friends. And the best part of all is when you start witnessing to sinners, who do they have for friends? A whole bunch of other sinners, right? They don't just go into the church and tell everybody. They tell all their friends. That's all they know. So here's Simon, or I mean, I'm not Simon. Here's Levi, and he's bringing all his friends. I often wonder if maybe Zacchaeus wasn't at this party, you know? Probably not. They were pretty distant from one another. But nevertheless, he gave a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. This is the kind of place maybe you don't want to be seen or heard. Look at how it turns out. And the scribes and Pharisees, here they come again. Don't lose sight. The scribes and Pharisees, the holier than thou, the religious people. Do you notice in the scriptures how often when God has a problem with people and he calls them out? It's often the, the religious, the, the self-righteous, those who think that, their works and their actions make them holy. They are so proud that they don't sin. They're so proud they don't lie. They're so proud they don't steal. They're so proud that they don't commit adultery. They, they're not looking at the bad places on the internet. They're not doing anything. They're so proud of all that. You know what the chief of sins is? Pride. Right? We need to be careful. And this is the thing that keeps coming up over and over. God points it out. The scribes and Pharisees complained against the disciples. Now the disciples are going to get mocked and they're going to get ridiculed. Complained against his disciples. Notice they don't complain against Jesus. He kind of shut them down. So now they're going to pick on his followers. That's how it works for you and I. That's why we keep getting the hits, right? They don't like Jesus, but they know they can't tangle with him. 
they figure they can tangle with you. And the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you're a sinner, stand up. Wow. What a bunch of sinners. Okay. Saved by grace. Amen. Y'all can sit down. We recognize that. Our heart is deceitful. It's wicked. We need God. Search me. Know me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Confess our sins. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins. But we gather amongst impure, unperfect people, saved by the blood of the Lamb, heaven-bound, right? God, God taking care of us from beginning to end. He will complete the work He began in us. But that's why we gather, because we're so grateful. He who has been forgiven much loves much. He who has been forgiven little, not a lot of love there. Jesus answered to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You know, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, you Christians, your Christianity, it's just a crutch. It's not a crutch. It's the whole hospital. <laughs> we need a lot of work, okay? But praise God. And this is kind of a, a, almost a snarky thing that Jesus says back to the Pharisees. What are you doing dining with publicans, sinners, wine-bibbers, lowlifes? That's where the action's at. That's where we are able to bring more into the kingdom. That's where we fill, fulfill our purpose. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're heaven-bound, then why doesn't God just poof? Take you right out of your seat and go to heaven. What's left to do? Bring our friends. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what Levi did. We know Levi better by the name Matthew. He's the one who wrote the gospel of Matthew. He was talented. Obviously, he's good with math, with figures. It says that he was an expert in tachygraphia in one of the passages. Tachygraphia means he's like a speed writer, like um, he can take down notes really fast. And that's why we have these words recorded for us. And God saw that in this Matthew. He saw a man despised, hated, rejected. Nobody would talk to him. Everybody hated him. Yeah, he had money. Yeah, he had wealth. Yeah, he had comfort. Yeah, he had luxury. But he was miserable inside. And Jesus says, drop all that. Come and follow me. And he did. He picked up and, and went that way. I was talking about some of the things that I've been busy with, right? With Cheryl and our anniversary and up to this conference. It was a Liberty Pastors Conference. And uh, it was the people who um, put on, maybe some of you are familiar with the Black Robe Regiment, referencing back to those pastors of the 1700s who preached to the churches in the New England colonies, who then rose up to protect their civil liberties. They were Englishmen, but their English rights were being stripped from them. 
And they said, we, all we're doing is asking that you treat us like Englishmen, according to the rules, according to the law. And King George sent the military and fired upon him. But it was because of the black robe regiment, these pastors in the pulpit, preaching liberty. Remember what Jesus said when he came to his own? It says in uh, verse 16 of chapter 4 of Luke, then he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And his custom, it was his custom in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. And this is what he reads. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the good news. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty, to loose the captives and recovery of sight to blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's what pastors were doing throughout all of New England, preaching the gospel, preaching the good news, healing the brokenhearted, setting at liberty the captives, no longer shackled by sin and death and Satan. And now as free men, free to worship God and give all to God, all their lives, all their treasure, all their sacred honor, they signed that at the bottom of the Declaration of Independence, knowing it may cost them their lives. But they stood up, and because of that, God birthed, an amazing country, the United States of America, which has been a light to the world and put out the gospel like no other nation on earth. Well, this is what's going on. There's a battle. People are out there in the battle. How do you win the battle? Where are you going to win it? We talked about that on our knees in prayer. But you're also going to win the battle with the wine bibbers, the gluttons, the sinners, your neighbors, your friends that don't know Jesus. This is how we fight this battle. It may shock you to know that a couple weeks ago, myself and Dallas, coming off the hill from our hunt, were in a bar in Bellevue, the Silver Dollar Saloon. It's a good story. So we're going down through Bellevue, and one of the guys that's with us in our hunting camp it's a wonderful hunting camp. It's a whole bunch of pastors, different denominations. We all get together. We just love on Jesus, and all of our differences fade away, and we just celebrate the Lord, and then we go out and hunt something. It's a wonderful camp. We're coming down off the camp, and he says, you know, there's this pizza place in Bellevue. Okay, we'll go to the pizza place in Bellevue. Get to the pizza place in Bellevue, and due to work shortages or whatever, their dining room isn't open. I'm like, what are we going to do? We can't just stand here and eat it, you know, like this. And he goes, oh, the bar next door, they let you go in and eat. We all look at each other. A bar? I don't remember the last time I was if wasn't in a bar, unless you count the hub over in, um, is it Hazleton or Eden? Good, good grub, by the way. <laughs> we go into this bar, and one of the pastors that's with us, Dave Long, walks into the bar. The jukebox is beating, and people are drinking, and everything's going on in there. We go to find a table, and they're going to bring our pizza over, and we can eat it in a couple minutes. And Dave Long's like, hey, what's going on? And he's talking to people at the bar. These are people he knew. And he's just going on and having a great conversation. And everybody thought we were just awesome. And it was wonderful. And we were able to witness Christ to them. 
The question is, what has God called you to do? What has he called me to do? What is God Lord of in your life? Um, is your life compartmentalized? Do you have your religious part? The Pharisees sure did. Or do you have your secular part? The tax man sure did. Or is Jesus Lord of all of your life? It's, it's, it's time to vote, team. It's, uh, it's the elections are here. This is, this is a staggering statistic, but it keeps coming up over and over. Different polling organizations across the last decade. It's just mind-boggling, this statistic. But 50% of people who call themselves Christian, 50% are registered to vote. And of that 50%, 50% of them actually go out and vote. 25% of the people who go by the name of Jesus Christ will not even stand up and vote biblical values and support life and support Israel and support the, the things that Jesus would stand for. Now, if I'm making you feel uncomfortable because you're not voting, I'm not sure what I can say to that. I look at the blood that has been shed for our liberty. All the veterans who have gone into battle, many of who have not come home. And the sacrifices they made and the lives that have just been put on the altar for the cause of liberty. Not the least of which, but most seriously, the most significant which is our Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross that we could be free. I just would please encourage you as, as, a, as a church. I pray that we're not just one of these churches that just comes on Sunday morning. We feel so good about ourselves because we did our Christian box thing. And then we walk out of here and go to lunch and eat our secular lunch. If that's who we are, I feel I've failed you as a pastor. But I know better because I know you guys and I see what you do. And we've got councilwomen here. We've got chief of police here. We've got people that are involved in our community on so many levels. And there's more that we can do. We can attend uh, school board meetings. We can change school boards. We can be involved in homeschooling and helping people that want to get their children out of the schools. We can go to city council meetings and find out what's going on in our community. And we can hold our representatives accountable. We can run for office. We can make our voice known. We can vote. And we can change the world. You know, the Bible is full of stories of David and Goliaths. There's so many different people. Esther and Haman. Moses and Pharaoh. All of these, the odds are just amazing. There's no way we can stand up against the onslaught. And yet, the Bible's full of these stories. Gideon and the Midianites. Daniel. And the three asbestos boys, Rackshack and Benny, who wouldn't bow, bend, or burn. The Bible is full of stories where God just says, you do what I've called you to do. Pray, stand, be a witness. 
I've got the lyrics of a song I'd like to have you look at with me as we go into worship. Worship team, come on up. I like what Kelly Boland says. You know Kelly, Austin and Kelly? She's, uh, they oversee the um, ushering, the greeters ministry. Wonderful, wonderful uh, young lady. But this is what she says. She, she's heavily involved in the Pure Word Redemption Ministry and the Transition Home Ministry and, and so many things. And uh, she's just like you and I. She's a sinner that was saved by Jesus Christ. But I love what she says. She says, when you come to Jesus, the only thing you need to change is everything. That's Kelly's quote. Yeah, I want to make sure she gets credit. Well, I'm going to read through the lyrics of this song. I know you've sung it a hundred times. But I, as we come, every time we get to the word all, I would like you to say it out loud with me. Our, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. King of endless worth. No one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself's not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Amen? Father God, I do pray, as Luke has recorded for us, the story of people like us, lonely people, hated people, rejected people, afraid people, simple people, proud people. You've only asked one thing of us, Lord, and that we would give all to you. We don't have to get, be an accountant to figure out what part to give. You keep it really simple. And I pray, Lord, as we go through this week, you will give us opportunity to surrender all, to worship you with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, all our soul. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.